Chapter 6 is the longest chapter in John's narrative, and we're going to finish the chapter this morning. We've been in chapter 6 for the last couple of weeks. We're going to start reading at verse 44, and then we'll cover verses 44 through 71 of John's gospel. So if you'll turn there, chapter 6, verses 44 through 71 of John's gospel. If you need a Bible to follow along with us, uh, just raise your hand and Pastor John will slip you a Bible. John chapter 6. And there's a few on the front platform if you want to grab one if you're close to the front. So John chapter 6, we'll begin reading at verse 44. Now, you recall that as we open up this chapter, um, that Jesus, uh, the story of him feeding the 5,000, miraculously 5,000 men, um, we know that that's recorded in all of the Gospels, but keep in mind that as we go through our text here today, that we're going to see that as the crowds were great, great multitudes at the beginning of the chapter, all of a sudden we're going to see at the end of the chapter that the crowds are going to begin to walk away. And so it's important for us to consider and understand why that has taken place. So, Father, we ask that you would bless this time in the study of your word. And Lord, just as we come and Lord, uh, we desire to be fed. We desire to be fed with the Word of God. Because we know that as Jesus was telling this crowd on the hillside of Galilee in Capernaum, that He is the bread of life. And whoever believes in Him shall never hunger or thirst. And so, Lord, what my prayer is that as we come into this place, that we would understand that the spiritual food that you desire to give to us through your word and through the Holy Spirit is food unto everlasting life. And it is food that will satisfy us and fulfill us in life now. Because I know that there are some that are here that perhaps are feeling hungry, feeling thirsty, and, and in their hearts and in their soul. And Lord, you're the one that said that as we come to you, we will never hunger and thirst again. And blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. So we need you desperately. May we be attentive to the things that you're showing us and telling us as we go through this chapter. And Lord, knowing that your love for us is great and proven through Jesus' death on the cross. So we look forward to, to receiving the words of God as it's spoken and as we look at this chapter, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So again, Jesus miraculously and amazingly fed the 5,000 on the hillside in Galilee as a small boy would bring to him just a few fish and a few barley loaves, and Jesus would take it, and he would bless it, and he would break it, and he would multiply it to where 5,000 men, and that's just the men we know from the other gospel narratives, and John as well, but with the women and children, it was a much greater number, and it was a very impressive miracle indeed, so much so that at that time, as I mentioned to you, that Jesus was at the height of his popularity, and the people were ready to crown him as king. And you might be thinking, well, isn't that what Jesus wanted? But he knew what their hearts were like. He knew that as the crowds once again were seeking him out the next day, what was in the hearts of the people, that they weren't coming to him to know him and surrender their lives to him, to, 
to learn of him. Um, they were coming because they were hungry once again. They were only coming because they wanted to crown him as a material political king. And, and so Jesus here has been teaching them, as we've seen over the last couple of weeks going through this chapter, that I am the bread of life that will satisfy you into life everlasting. And we have seen and read in these, this chapter here that Jesus addressing this crowd, Jesus said, you seek not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. In other words, you're all caught up in the material. You're missing the eternal. I am the bread of life. That is the true bread that you should be seeking. It's in me. It's believing in me that you will be satisfied and truly fulfilled. And it's not going to be found in that earthly thing or that worldly thing, possession. But what it's going to be found is in relationship and fellowship with me in the person of Jesus Christ. So we see here that Jesus is pressing the point, something that I pray that every single one of us would understand and apply in our lives to a greater degree, that we need to labor and prioritize that which is eternal to him who comes eternal life. I think that people really miss out on life because they come at life backwards. In other words, looking to the material to satisfy what can only be satisfied in the spiritual so in this chapter, Jesus is telling it like it is. Don't labor after that which is perishing, which is temporary, but labor and prioritize that which endures to everlasting life. And we left off at verse 43 last week. The people listening to Jesus explain this. So they're beginning to complain and they're beginning to murmur. And that's going to continue as we finish the chapter here. And we're going to see that at the beginning of the chapters, we saw that the multitudes were great. Now we're going to see that the multitudes are going to begin to walk away from him. So let's pick up our text at verse 44 of John chapter 6. As Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now, we can read this, and we can think that, well, this is a little bit confusing because Jesus says, come and believe in me, um, you know, come to me, receive everlasting life. Uh, as you do, you'll never hunger and thirst again. And now Jesus says that no one can come to him unless the Father draws him. And the reason that this can be a little bit difficult for us to grasp is because we're dealing with the sovereignty of God. We're dealing with a God who is infinite, uh, who is all-knowing, all-powerful. Uh, he's a big God. He's an infinite God whose ways are way, 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 way past finding out. His ways are so much higher than our ways. And we have finite minds. In other words, we cannot fully understand and grasp the sovereignty and the working of God. We read here that there is the Father that's drawing us to Jesus. And we're going to see in chapter 16 of this gospel that Jesus is going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit, that he will convict the world of sin, that the Holy Spirit, that he is the comforter, and he will draw us to Jesus. Also, we will read in John's gospel in chapter 12 that Jesus said that if I be lifted up, as he's talking about going to the cross, if I be lifted up, then I will draw all men to myself. So what you have here is you have this drawing of man to God, 
it doesn't mean that all will believe. We know that, don't we? It's interesting, Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, that the Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Paul would write basically the same thing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, for you note-takers, that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. But not all do, do they? Not all are going to give their hearts to Jesus because He will not force His way into our lives, our hearts. Love demands a choice. When I asked my wife Sue to marry me, I didn't force her to marry me. I didn't force her to love me. She made a choice to marry me when I said, come, please, be, be my wife. And she said, yes, I will do that. And it's with the Lord. He doesn't force His way into our hearts. So there's this drawing to God, this divine help that we receive, and then it is us saying yes to the wonderful and glorious message of the gospel. We continue reading verse 46, not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father, most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. I am from God, and that's a claim that Jesus has been making. Uh, the Father and I are one. I am the bread of life who gives everlasting life to those who believe in me. And then we read in verse 49, Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which comes, uh, came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Verse 52, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. And he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. In verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. And these things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. So often as we've seen in John's gospel that Jesus' teaching is not understood. And when Jesus is talking spiritual, the people that he's talking to are thinking material, physical. It was that way with Nicodemus, as Jesus said to him that you must be born again, Nicodemus. And Nicodemus was struggling with that. He was wondering, how can a man enter into his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said to him that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. You must be born again, Nicodemus. The woman at the well in John chapter 5 or chapter 4, that Jesus said to her that if you drink of this well, Jacob's well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the living waters that I have to offer, then you'll never thirst again. And it took her a while to understand that Jesus was talking about the living waters, the spiritual water that he has to give to her. She was thinking about the water. She says, where do you get this water? You, you don't have a bucket and the well is deep. And Jesus said, you drink of this water, 
Jacob's well, you're going to thirst again. But drink of the living water that I have to give to you. So here, once again, we see that Jesus' teaching is not understood. The Jews begin to argue amongst themselves, what is it that he means? What is this, that we're to come and eat of him, his, his flesh, drink his blood? Is this bizarrity? You know, is this weirdness? Is he talking cannibalism? What is he talking about? And Jesus began this discussion to those in the synagogue in Capernaum. The reason that you have sought me is because I fed you yesterday on that hillside. And you recall that they were all full. They had all that they could eat as he did that miracle feeding. Your bellies were full, and now you're here seeking me out again, wanting, as we saw in verse 15, to make him king. And again, the reason that they wanted to is because they wanted a political, material king. Hey, he's healing us. He's feeding us. Uh, we'll never go hungry. We'll never, you know, be sick again. And, and the reason that you're here once again is because you were physically satisfied, but that's all temporary, and you're hungry again. Your stomachs are growling. Your fathers in the wilderness ate manna, bread from heaven, but they weren't satisfied, and they're dead. But I am the true bread from heaven, and whoever eats of this bread will live forever. That is me. My flesh is true food, and if you take of it, you will abide in me and I in you. So Jesus is not talking about cannibalism and obviously and weirdness. He's talking about a deep, intimate fellowship and relationship with him. You are looking for me because you have a craving for physical food. But I want to satisfy you in your hearts and in your souls and give you spiritual satisfaction and life everlasting to where you will never die. That is what you need. That's what I'm going to provide for because in verse 51, to draw attention to that verse, he said, my flesh, my body, I'm going to give for the life of the world. My flesh, my body will be broken. I'm going to be hit and I'm going to be beaten. I'm going to be flogged with that cat of nine tails. And as I am put on that cross, that my blood's going to be shed for forgiveness of sin. So when Jesus here says, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, he's saying, come to me and believe in me, depend on me, look to me for everlasting life and for spiritual satisfaction and fulfillment. One thing that we need to do if we want to keep living in this life physically is we need to eat, don't we? We need to eat and we need to drink and we need to breathe. But eating is something that we make it a priority. And a lot of you, you ate this morning before you came to church. If you didn't, you're planning on going out to maybe having some brunch or getting something to eat. But unless, you know, sometimes we're, we're sick or sometimes what happens is people say, well, I want to fast for a little bit. But, but for the most part, it is something that we do constantly, daily, is that we make eating a physical bread a must. And so Jesus is saying spiritually, you need to eat of me to live, because if you don't eat of me, there is no life in you. Just as if any of us stop eating physically, over time what will happen is, is we'll die physically. 
If I don't take in spiritually of Jesus and believe in him, make him the priority, I will die spiritually. So he says in verse 57, whoever feeds on me will live because of me. I was reading an interesting article a couple weeks ago about lions in Africa and what they need to do to to eat and to survive and how much food they need to eat and and how much energy they expend on just making a, a kill on a zebra or on a gazelle and, and um, a lot of studies gone into it how they'll track you know an animal for days and follow them but it, do you realize that a lion some lions they'll eat as much as 90 pounds of meat in a single meal in a single you know setting and then kill that's a lot of meat that they eat so you know, a lot of energy goes into and thought and, and all of that for us that we can go to the store to be able to eat. But there's still money that's involved. We got to make a list. We got to go to the store. We got to, you know, get the meals. We got to plan the meals. We got to cook the meals. So all of that, as we go and we eat, um, is a priority in our lives. We, we spend a lot of time doing that. A lot of thought can go into that. But oftentimes, Christians, and, and not you guys, but Christians will complain because they have to drive 20 minutes to church getting fed the Word of God. And the reason is, is because it's not a priority. We will crave for the physical food, but not for the spiritual food. And if we come to that point, we will begin to wonder why it is that I feel so weak spiritually and dried up and unsatisfied. If we didn't prioritize and make effort to eat physically, we would become very, very weak. And it's the same spiritually taken in of Jesus. This is the point that he's trying to get across. Being close to Jesus, taken in of the words of Jesus, continually and constantly making him the priority of every area of our lives. Just as we need physical food to be healthy and to be strong. And it enters into, as we take it in, into the deepest inner parts of our being. And Jesus is saying, take of me now and allow me to come into the deepest recesses of your heart. In verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? So the people who are following him, desiring to, to make him king, uh, to, to feed them physical food because they are hungry once again. And when they heard this teaching from Jesus, they responded by saying, this is a hard saying. Or it might be translated, difficult saying. Who can understand it? Who can hear it? And, and it wasn't that they were totally clueless to what Jesus was saying. They, they were trying to grasp it. How can we personally, you know, take of, of him? But they were also offended by it. It can be literally stated, who can stand and listen to such offensive doctrine? And we know that this was offensive to them because we're going to see as we read verses 61 through 62, you know, that he's going to say that you're complaining. Are you offended by this? He knows what's going on in their hearts, verse 61. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit, verse 63, who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And make sure you note that. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are 
uh, life. So they, they were offended. What do you mean, give ourselves to you? Surrender and take of you. That offends us. Aren't you going to feed us physically? Uh, our stomachs are, are hungry and empty once again. And then Jesus said, My flesh which I give for the life of the world will be raised up, and I will ascend to heaven back to where I came from. You're going to see me in glory. And understand this, that it is the Spirit that gives life. And these words that I speak to you are spirit and truth. I'm not talking about eating my flesh literally because the flesh profits nothing. As we move along in this chapter, Jesus will say at the end of the chapter that one of you, 12, is a devil. And he's speaking of Judas Iscariot, isn't he? Who would betray him on the night that he would be arrested. And we know that Jesus, on that same night in which he was betrayed, in that upper room, when he was with his disciples for the last time, that he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We know that in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying that this is the new covenant in my blood. This is the cup in the new covenant in my blood. Drink, do this as often in remembrance of me. So that night in that upper room that Jesus instituted what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. And throughout church history, there has been different interpretations of the Lord's Supper. We know that, uh, for example, the Roman Catholic Church puts the emphasis on this is my body. So they have a term that's called transubstantiation. And what they believe is, is that as uh, they take a communion at every Mass, that the bread actually becomes the body of Jesus. That, that the, the cup, uh, the wine, actually becomes the blood of Jesus. These verses in this chapter clearly dismiss that. The flesh profits nothing. Taken of me is, I'm talking to you, the words are spirit and truth. And so chapter 6 dismisses that, that belief, a transubstantiation is what they come up with. And there are those who, other circles as well, that believe in that, and they believe, well, it's only that for the believer. Other interpretations have come along and said, well, taken from this chapter, that you have to take a communion in order to be saved, and we know that's not true. It's not in what we do. It's not baptism or taking of communion that saves us. It's faith alone in Jesus Christ. And we need to, folks, always be established in that. Whenever you hear somebody that comes along and says, well, you're not saved unless you're baptized or you take a communion or you join our church or you do this, that it's a false doctrine. It is faith alone in Jesus Christ. Now, with that said, as we know, and we went through the book of Galatians, we were establishing that very clearly in our recent study of Galatians. As Paul says, it isn't the works of the law that will save you. It isn't at all. It is faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you on Calvary's cross and believing that he rose from the grave. So with that said, taking up communion, coming to the Lord's table is important. Whenever Jesus says, do this often, we are to do it often in remembrance of what Jesus did in allowing his body to go through the sufferings of the cross and has shed blood for forgiveness of sin. But as we take up communion, remember this, that the bread is bread, and it always will be bread. 
as you put the bread in your mouth and you partake of it, remembering what Jesus did for you because of his love for you, it's bread in your mouth, but what you have is Jesus in your heart, right? You have Jesus in your heart remembering his love and provision for you, and I believe that there is spiritual blessing by being obedient and coming to the Lord's table and taking up communion, remembering him, having communion. And, and having communion shouldn't just be some, you know, hocus-pocus ritual that, that we come out with or believe in or, you know, it's just something that we do once in a while. It is something that is to be done to bring us close to him, remembering him. It should be meaningful, and there is special blessing for our hearts. And that's why we do come to the communion table corporately here at Calvary Chapel. We do that on the first Sunday and the first Wednesday of the month as well. But hey, Jesus says, the flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and life. And maybe, just maybe here this morning, that there's someone that's here and you're thinking, Lord, I hear what you're saying. And I pray that you would allow the Lord to just penetrate the deepest part of your heart. You really haven't eaten of him. The Lord's spirit is, is witnessing to your spirit. And you are to receive his words into your life. Partake of him so that you have eternal life, true satisfaction and fulfillment in this life. If you've never truly surrendered to him, he's saying, come to me because I am the source of everything that you need from everlasting life to true satisfaction in this life now. And I pray that you wouldn't harden your heart to what the Lord is saying. He loves you so much. He knows all about you. He knows that you would be here in this place and he desires to do an incredible work of saving you or just drawing you close to himself if you are saved. And being a man or a woman that's just surrendered to him. And being all that God wants you to be. And truly being satisfied and fulfilled in life. And verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were and who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted to him by my father. And from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. So Jesus gives these saying that he's the bread of life and take of me and eat of me and to have life everlasting. And, and they are saying, this is hard. This is offensive. And they begin to walk away. Jesus saying, understand that the words that I speak are spirit and truth. It is to be spiritually understood and you really cannot come to me unless the Father draws you. He said, he said that earlier as we read too. And so they begin to leave him. They begin to walk away from him, and they're walking with him no more. What a contrast from the beginning of the chapter, great multitudes, Jesus in the height of his popularity. You can just kind of picture it, the, the crowds just pressing in on Jesus, and, and they're going to crown him as king, and they're all excited. And now by the end of the chapter, they're leaving. And I want us to notice something, and I think it's important, that Jesus shared with them truth even as it offended them. Paul the Apostle, that he would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, that we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a, a stumbling block to the Greeks' foolishness. 
they begin to leave him. They're not interested in walking with him. And notice here that he doesn't run after them. He doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry I offended you. You know, let me lighten it up a little bit. Let me talk to you about, you know, uh, feeling good about yourself or the champion within you or any of that kind of thing. But rather, he came to set the record straight. You believe in me, and as you do, you'll have eternal life. And I'm going to raise you up in the last day. And if you don't believe in me, there is no life, everlasting life. That is with Jesus. And in my witnessing to others and giving the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it may be offensive to others. We know that to be true, those of us who have shared. And there are those who will walk away. But as I closely look at this, I can follow the example of Jesus, realizing that it's the work of the Spirit that is drawing that individual to Jesus. And I sense just a, a real peace here and a calmness in Jesus' ministry. <clears throat> he's not striving. He's not arguing. He's not disputing, debating endlessly. He, he's not chasing after the crowd. He would continue to walk among them, as we will see next week when we open up chapter 7, that it says that Jesus continued to walk in Galilee. He walked amongst them. You see, they were walking away from him, but he still walked among them. I think that's worth us considering. He's still available to them. He did not go running after them, but he's still available to them. He continued to walk in that region of Galilee. And that is the key. When I talk with people that are not receiving, they're not responding, there comes a point where you have to let them go. Even as Jesus let them go, as the people turn their backs on him. But he's still walking in their region. He was still available, and, and that's where the balance is. It's not arguing. It's not striving. You know, when I was young, when I was first a Christian, and I was reading the Bible, and I was reading apologetic books, and I thought, I'm going to go witness to this person, and I got, you know, all the answers and things figured out, and I can argue them. I can do that, argue them into the kingdom. And I haven't argued anybody into the kingdom of God. And I've come to realize that, yes, I am to study, to show myself approved, to be able to give a defense for the faith, to be able to answer their questions. But I also know that as I give them truth, those seeds are planted, and one person may come and plant those seeds, another waters, as Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, but God gives the increase. And it has to be a work of the Spirit in their lives. And I am to pray for them and commend them to God and continue to pray for those that I'm sharing with, those that I care about, my family members and those at work and those in my neighborhood, those I go to school with, those that, you know, that, that you are close to, old friends, to pray for them and share with them. But let the Word of God do its work and the Spirit of God convict their hearts and to pray, Lord, I pray that the you know, blindness will be taken away from them. And then be available always should there be a change of heart. Realize in our ministry and in, in, in your sharing, in your witnessing, that we give them truth, that they need Jesus. Well, Jesus came to this world to die for you because of his love for you. And he died for all manner of sin. There is forgiveness. And turn to him for eternal life. 
and he rose from the grave and he's alive and life is found in him and there's this drawing of the father work of the spirit and i don't have to try to argue or persuade or manipulate people into believing i lay out the word of god in the gospel as it's revealed to us and even if it offends and i pray that the holy spirit is working in their hearts and the father is drawing them to the person of jesus christ the bread of life but you and i were still in the region right we're still available for them and also may they see the reality of jesus christ in our lives as well in verse 67 then jesus said to the 12 do you also want to go away but simon peter answered him lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life no doubt peter and the disciples were amazed at the works of jesus i mean all the healings that he'd done, freeing the demoniacs, the feeding of the 5,000, walking on water, all that that they were eyewitnesses of. And here the crowds begin to walk away, and Jesus says to his disciples, do you want to go also? And Peter, Peter usually was the one, isn't he, that pipes up first? And he does hear, and sometimes he would say things that got him into a little bit of trouble. he ended end up getting rebuked by the Lord. But this time... He says something that's quite incredible. He says, you alone have the words of eternal life. He did not say you alone have the works of eternal life, although no doubt they were excited and they were awed over his works. But Peter and the disciples say that you have the words of eternal life. Where shall we go? So the question that everyone has to ask is to whom shall we go? Where do you turn? Where do you turn? Jesus is the one that is able to give you eternal life. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And for the one that is here this morning, that you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, that he is the only one that died for your sins. He's the only one that rose from the grave. There is no one else that loves you more. That's why he died for you. There is no one else that uniquely claimed to be the creator of life and the giver of eternal life. Only Jesus. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough. None of us are. And it is Jesus that came to this world because of his love for you. Because sin would come into all of us as we were born sinners. And the wages of sin is death. And Jesus came to bring us life. And he would cry from the cross, it is finished. I've done the work and I've provided forgiveness of sin and now has provided for us to go to heaven and be reconciled with the Father. And these guys are saying, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, verse 69, the one who declared to be the I Am. You're the living Word who gives the words of eternal life. Now, I know that most of us that we say, amen, I know that. I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is the bread of life. I've accepted Jesus into my heart as my personal Lord and Savior. And praise God that we have Jesus. But I do want to ask all of us Christians, to whom shall you go? To whom shall you go to truly be fulfilled and satisfied in life? Is it Jesus personally? To whom shall you go when you need wisdom and, and edification and instruction in righteousness? 
I don't just want to, to feed on your flesh, but I want to feed on you continually, spiritually, that is. I want to know you and your word and to draw close to you and to grow in my love for you and abide with you. To hear your words. Because to grow in faith, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And it's the way to true wisdom and strength and growth in the Lord. It is the words of God that touches our hearts. And any of us that say, you know what, Lord, you're the priority in my life, in every area of my life, you will find that to be true. And if you begin to prioritize things of this world, then you're going to find yourself being dry and unfulfilled and unsatisfied in your heart and in your soul. So to whom do you go? And may we go to the bread of life, the one who has living water for us, and may we hunger and thirst for righteousness, for he's the one that will fill us. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much for truth that is given to us here in this chapter. And, Lord, even though it's a chapter we can read and we think, well, this may be kind of hard. What is it that Jesus is saying? It's really not that difficult. We know that Jesus is saying that I am the one to eternal life, the bread of life, and I am the one to give you life everlasting, and fulfillment and satisfaction now. And that's why Jesus said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. And Father, so I pray, if there's anyone here in this sanctuary or out in the coffee shop that if you hear you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, will you open up your heart to him? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart right now to say that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life? To know that He loves you and He desires to save you. There is no other sacrifice for sin, only Jesus. There's no other salvation. It comes through Jesus, and He proved His love for you that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. He is the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords. And you are important to him. And the invitation is given to you right now to surrender your life to him, to be your personal, for you to be calling out to him, Lord, be my personal Lord and Savior. Today is the day of salvation. This world will not save you. This world is not where your hope is. It's only found in Jesus. Will you come and take of the bread of life? If the Lord is touching your heart this morning, will you pray this prayer? That Jesus, I believe that you are the bread of life. I believe that you came and you died for my sins. I am a sinner. And you died for every one of my sins. And I believe that you rose from the grave because you're alive knocking on the door of my heart and I open my heart to you right now for you to sit on the throne of my heart. My life is not its own. I turn to you now. Be my personal Lord and Savior. 
Help me to live for you, to know you and to love you. And thank you for saving me. If anybody prayed that prayer this morning, I want to pray for you. Will you just put your hand up and put it back down? You're making a statement that I've come to Jesus. Anybody in this sanctuary at this time? And we always give this opportunity for people to make a statement that I've come to Christ. I've made a decision this morning. Anybody at all? I see you on the right here. God bless you. If you're out in the coffee shop, we got those that minister to you, and you just just put your hand up, and we want to pray with you and minister to you. And Father, I thank you for decisions that are made here, for you, the bread of life. And Father, I pray that joy would fill their hearts and assurance that they belong to you as they give their hearts to you. Fill them with your spirit and all of us, Lord, that we may be satisfied in this life even though it's hard and it's difficult and it's, Lord, we know that as we come to you that you're everything that we need. I pray that you bless your people here as we go our way and that we would enjoy you, just be filled with your love. Guide us and direct us, Lord. And we thank you for this time that we've had together. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.